Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is one of my favourite ever writers, Emma Forrest. This is a replay episode that was recorded back in 2019 and we had a really good chat about careers, creativity, meditation, her writing process. Her new novel had just come out at the time of this recording called Royals, so we talk about that. But we talk about her career in general. She is the author of three novels, an essay collection and the amazing memoir, Your Voice in My Head, which is one of my favourite ever memoirs on mental health. It is such a beloved book and I really recommend getting a copy if you haven't already read that. Really excitingly, Emma also has a new memoir out called Busy Being Free, A Lifelong Romantic is Seduced by Solitude which, no surprise to anyone, I absolutely loved. It filled the hole that was left after reading your voice in my head, and I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. But it's such a stunning memoir about divorce, but really it's about self-love, self-acceptance, romancing yourself, falling back in love with yourself. It's beautiful, bold, generous, vulnerable, strong and open-hearted, and every sentence as Emma always does, packs a punch. So go and check out her books and hope you enjoy this episode. Can we go back to the beginning for anyone that doesn't know? Because you have a really interesting kind of um, Origin childhood <laughs> slash, um, you know, ha- having a Sunday Times column when you were a teenager yeah. and, and all of that. I, I just wondered, you left school, didn't you? And you kind of okay. went straight into it. Here's what happened. It, really, everything useful a writer can do is rooted in um, who do you feel lust towards. And as a young person, as a 13 year old, I was absolutely besotted with Stephen Fry. He was like my dream man. Um, And I wrote to him to ask to interview him for my school magazine. And he wrote a beautiful, charming letter back, but I didn't get an interview with him. But I wrote to people I just wanted to engage with. And Nigella Lawson, who went to my school before me, um, gave me an interview and I went over there and I interviewed her. And she started it all because she then said to the Evening Standard, I met this young girl who you might want to consider as a music reviewer and the very first piece I ever had published was a review of Erotica by Madonna and in the Evening Standard and that was on Nigella's recommendation and then I had something to show and it went from there. That's amazing because that curiosity and just reaching out to people can be really scary but you you clearly just did it like you like a, there was something inside you that was like I need to go and get these stories. Yeah, I did. I think you know when people talk about self-esteem problems genetically for me and for my kid as well I notice it's that our self-esteem is too high. So <laughs> there's that awful mo- moment where I, I just remember being about 10 and standing up in the bath and seeing myself in the mirror and it hitting me crushingly that my mother was wrong and I wasn't the most beautiful girl in the world, that I was maybe like, you know, the 29th most beautiful, you know, and it has fallen from there. But um, yeah, uh, having that high self-esteem problem, you run up against some interesting um, uh, come to Jesus moments and dark nights of of the soul. I think I had that actually, because I, my parents were very, very kind of overly like, you're amazing, you're the best thing, you're so special. Um, Like the classical, the classic millennial thing as well, that you grow up thinking you're amazing. But I remember like meeting boys and being like, why don't they fancy me? Oh my God. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Like shocked. No, Emma, my mum having to sit me down and like really gently explain that not everyone was going to be attracted to me because (laughs) I was so offended. I remember just like wanting this boy arrested 
Um, but yeah, coming to terms with that, that men might have types and yeah. Yeah, how yeah. dare they? Yeah. I really became really into you and your writing when I read Your Voice in My Head. Yeah. I read it on a holiday and I love reading books, you know, when you just like, yeah. you just inhale them Can by, I ask by the holiday? pool. So it was like 2012, I think the year it came out. Where were you? Um, in Portugal. <gasps> I felt really in your head mm. and I felt like I knew you when I'd finished the book and mm. people must say that to you a lot. Yeah, I mean, you now know the process of writing a book. It's very strange because you say you spend a year writing it, you'll then spend probably, you know, at least six months editing it, maybe a year. Mm. And then it takes now minimum a year for it to come out, often a year and a half before it comes out because they have slots for what they think are summer books and what they think are, you know, literary books for the for the autumn and so there's that really weird waiting period where you actually feel like a fantasist. You know, mm. people ask what you're doing and you explain it and you say you can read it in a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, it is me, but it is also, um, there's a jet lag, there's a soul lag yes. to it. It's yeah. interesting that, isn't it? Because I think, um, like you just said, being a writer, you have to learn to be patient. And yeah. but then but then I don't know about you, but I'm very impatient as a person. So it's like that was always yeah. really hard. Yeah, I always think that your best quality is also your worst quality, and everything extraordinary that's come my way and everything dangerous and destructive is because of impulsivity. Mm. It's true. Yeah. But looking back on that book, um, it wasn't that long ago. It did come out in 2012, right? Or yeah, earlier. But that is a long time. It, it ago. feels like a lifetime Especially ago. Especially given that I would have written it two years before it came out yes and I feel like at the time I know it's different in America yeah. but I hadn't read anything really about mental health and therapy in that right. in that raw way I feel like the times have moved on and people are talking about it more but I feel like that was the first of its kind that book oh thank you so much I mean I um had made there's a purity to that book because I had absolutely made myself a deal that I would write it to stay alive and if when it was finished I considered it a strong enough piece of writing to go out into the world, then I would publish it. But it was the first time I went in with that very pure feeling of not having an advance and and writing it really kind of honestly as a suicide note that hopefully would never be mm. left for anyone. Mm. You know. Were you able to accept that it was a good book? Like Oh, ab no, absolutely. Um, I And I know... I know my work well enough to know that the things that come quite quickly and almost like fever dreams are my strongest mm. pieces and that I guess it's not as strong when it takes a long time. I, I lose the threads and it doesn't have the same impact and immediacy. So, you know, that was written quickly and in it and just head above water. Uh, and then it's interesting when you're done to look at the water and see what's really in there and how deep it is mm. yeah talking of dreams then, yeah i did read that your amazing novel that's just come out royals oh. everyone needs to read it <laughs> please pause this podcast now and just like google it now <laughs> that came to you in a dream did it yeah i've i've so um one of my favorite la things that i did was um i learned how to meditate how to do mm. transcendental meditation and what's um, the difference between transcendental versus um, well tm you you do twice a day every day um for like 10 or 20 minutes and the point is that um you go with the noise in the in the morning it's probably not all, it doesn't feel all that useful or helpful and it feels like you're not doing anything but it's like turning on a tap 
and letting it run until the water runs clear. And it also is in lure often of sleeping because you can really feel like you've napped by doing it. Oh, wow. Um, so that really helped. And, and, and again, like God bless pop cultural fixations because I really only went into it because I knew how into it David Lynch was and I had read his guide. I think it's called uh, Fishing for the... You know what? I can't remember. David Lynch wrote a guide to meditation and um, about how he gets the images in his films from because it's so obvious when you watch my Holland Drive, it's like that came to someone oh God, in a dream. Yeah. And it kind of feels like a film about people's dreams bleeding into each other and overlapping. So I learned how to meditate. Uh, my writing immediately was stronger because your voice in my head would be the first one I wrote on TM, on meditation. And uh, those images that came to me for royals, what was really interesting was that I always have a paper and pen by my bed in case I get those ideas in my sleep. But uh, I had started to have the dreams sequentially so that I knew that when I went to bed, more of the story would wow. unfold. And I've never had that before. And to be honest, I don't expect to have that happen again. Um, it may have been, you know how Joni Mitchell says that um, her album Blue is a nervous breakdown on record before people talked about nervous breakdowns or had a word for it. It may be it was some kind of like psychotic break, but it was an incredible experience and I would just scramble to write it all up. Was it like day. watching a film? No, it wasn't like writing a uh, watching a film, but by the time I edited the book, I had directed a film, so I was able to look and say, uh, this is a set piece. You know, this feels I like the opening of the book is mm. a set piece from a movie. And I knew that. And so it was also really exciting to write the first novel after directing the first film. Right. Yeah, yeah. I bet they helped each other. They do. And there's, you know, there's other people who do it really beautifully, like David Nichols goes between um, novels mm. and screenplays. And I feel that in his novels, I can feel the cinematic presence and pull, and obviously Alex Garland. I would say that of the novelists to writer-directors, he's by far the most successful um, creatively. Those are just such extraordinary images, and I think the, the, the danger for a, a writer-turned-filmmaker is that you just lean on being a good writer. Mm -hmm. But I think it's sort of disrespectful to the medium if you also don't melt into the visual image you know otherwise why are you there totally I mean sometimes I feel like we can box ourselves in and you know when you're told as a child like oh you're good with words that's your thing yeah and then because I have this now where people are like oh would you ever write a script and I'm like no 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 not mm. a visual person and it's like am I not or am I just telling myself I'm not I think you are I mean I think it's very inspiring to see all the you know, I people think you just... chose the colors on your dress and the ring in your nose and which side of your nose you put the ring and those are all filmmaker decisions actually I mean the greatest piece of advice I had about directing was that um, you're going to have to accept you'll have to make decisions knowing that they may be the wrong ones mm. and that was really exciting to me yes. and something that I've kept in my life since then. I really want to talk to you about the film because okay, I loved okay. it. I watched okay. it. Um, but about Royals, so it's set in the 80s. Yes. Which I love because I love 80s music. And yeah. just, I, I was born in 89, but yeah. I'm like, I wish I was born earlier yeah. so I could have enjoyed that decade. Yeah. 
Did you and the characters? So we've got yeah. Jasmine and we've got Stephen, yeah. both from wildly different backgrounds, mm. but end up in the same hospital mm. for different mm. reasons. Yeah. An amazing story. I was so gripped. Did you have a point to make with the book? Just because I feel like it's very relevant in terms of um, you know reaching out to the other other side, whatever that might be, and, yeah. and striking up relationships. Well, no, not that. Because actually, having come here from America, I've I, I, I'm very much in a place of the, absolutely no point reaching out to the other side acceptance that there's good people and bad people and I'm not going to talk to the bad people but uh, using the marriage of Charles and Diana as the backdrop to this friendship between these two sort of broken souls I did very much want to explore our fairy tales versus what it is to live in reality Mm -hmm. because also remember with that book I was editing, editing it right when I'd moved from Los Angeles to London and LA's extraordinary because it's a dreaming board and it's a place to in a way that I don't judge at all not quite live in reality to live in an altered reality and I actually am really enjoying London it's a completely different feeling I feel very earthed here I feel of the earth I can feel every footstep on the ground whereas in LA I sort of felt like I was floating up into the sky a lot of the time but I've made a deal with myself that if there's a point in my life emotionally where I need to return to an enhanced and altered reality I won't judge myself for Mm, that of course it's good to know it's always there yeah but do you find it's kind of interesting that you have you've really seen into that world of kind of Hollywood the yeah. glitz and the glamour. Because yeah. this, I know this book is always set in a different time, but it mm. is quite dazzling with like the world. Yeah. Um, I, there's different strands. I was thinking a little bit about Grace Kelly and high society. I was thinking about the image of Debbie Harry, so extraordinarily beautiful that she could reach into the hot New York trash and pull out a bin bag and turn it into a dress. And because she looked how she looked, it looked amazing. I was, the funny thing about Jasmine, I remember I was on a jury in LA before I moved back here and it was a long, long trial and it was very stressful and boring. And one day a witness was called to the stand who was physically beautiful and I felt so re-energized and it really made me think about actually the role of beauty and the gift of beauty to the viewer and that's that's Jasmine and it's... um set free a lot of the people around her and broken her down somewhat. And isn't it so interesting that some of these, the most beautiful people, they never really know their own beauty. Oh, yeah. Which is such a shame. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe um, not. But, but, I mean, I think it also, I think there's a reason that Gloria Steinem is so traditionally beautiful that she was able to go undercover as a Playboy bunny to expose Mm -hmm. the Playboy Corporation I would have to assume that Gloria Steinem looks in the mirror slightly less than a lot of other women. And because she is so extraordinarily beautiful, it gave her a superpower just to like get on with mm. things. I may be wrong, but this is what I fantasize, that there's she doesn't have that part of her life where she's felt insecure about her looks and spent X amount of time in front of the mirror. She's just gone out there and kicked ass. the film because that is that was that was brilliant that film but you worked with your husband yes had you had you separated before or during or after it was it's it's a great story because 
um, I started writing that screenplay right when I met Ben, my who's my ex-husband and um, who is a great actor and who I have a lot in common with artistically in that the reason Ben's a great actor is you can feel the feeling when you watch him. You're like, oh, it's a human having a feeling. And I think that's what people react to in your voice in my head and in the strongest parts of my writing is a real tangible <laughs> feeling. So we did want to work together. and Because you'd read each other's work before you well, met. Well, I had seen his film Animal Kingdom and he had read your voice in my head. And so we had an idea of each other before we started dating. And the great thing is that once we agreed to separate that love we had for each other's work and that respect we had for each other's work, I think really eased the transition. We definitely didn't consciously uncouple, but we've changed shape in a sort of weirdly um, probably more intimate and more loving than we were as a couple and a lot of that has to do with the work Mm -hmm. now would I want to direct him again and would he want to direct be directed by me again I don't know about that (laughs) it was rough but that was the rough stuff and Mm -hmm. it meant that um, the actual separation I think we got the hard stuff out of the way that's amazing and and for him to still commit to it and to be in it well yeah I also I also told him if he pulled out I'd offer it to Russell Crowe so he (laughs) he he insisted on staying in yeah because with some of the publicity for the book I know you've you have written publicly about this which which is why I'm asking otherwise I I wouldn't Um, but do you think as a writer like you you know you you can just write what you want to or did you did you kind of get approval before the Guardian article for example oh yeah yeah no um any time I've written about a man that I've loved, I've given it to them in right. advance before it goes to press uh, and said, is there anything you want to change? And Ben is, I'm just so glad he's the one I married um, because having divorced him, he's the one who says, you're a great writer. And, you know, I wouldn't tell the story the same way and I have different feelings about it, but I would never, ever censor you. Mm. And oh, I've been waiting wow. for that all my life. To yeah. respect the medium in that yeah. way is yeah. the dream. Yeah. 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 Because um sometimes I think it's a bit of a murky one with memoir. I don't know if everyone does ask permission, they just change details. I've or they... definitely have you seen Marriage Story? No, but I need to see it. Um, yeah. I I mean obviously because it's an amazing film, but also I'm obsessed with Adam Driver. What, um, like he, he's my ultimate he's crush. Lo- he's well, I'll give you a good story in a minute. Um, <laughs> say Adam Driver and I'll come back to it. Um, but uh, I love that film, but I really do want to know um, if he, if the writer-director ran it by his ex-wife, Jennifer Jason Lee. Is it Noah? Noah Baumbach, yeah. I was in the odd position of feeling slightly uncomfortable about whether the things that were being said and portrayed had been approved because if it's slightly fictionalized isn't that a loophole because it's like yeah you know you can't always map it back to things yeah it's 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 tricky I mean I had a writing teacher who said to me and I put it in on together in my movie when it hits the page it's yours but that's nebulous isn't it Mm. yeah it's a tricky one it's been sort of the bane of my life until divorcing Ben and him giving me this blessing. Do you think that's why a lot of sort of memoir or non-fiction writers do write novels because it's like there's a bit more of a freedom? Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, that's why people often make, uh, there's things you can do through the lens of horror that uh, are very freeing, especially when you're telling women's stories. 
if you think about Rosemary's Baby and and Carrie, well, it's interesting. Both of those were told by men. I'd love mm-hmm. to hear the female horror story that comes from a divorce or yeah. Yeah, that's that would be really cool. Yeah. And with with the film, so did you what sort of director are you? How do you work with people? I made well, I think I'm a director with taste, so I made sure that uh I had an impeccable director of photography, Autumn Durald, who's very experienced and um so technically um impeccable that I knew I would that she would have that side of it and I would be able to work with the actors. Mm. And for anyone listening, yeah. uh, we just mentioned Adam Driver. It's, um, what's her name? Yes, so here, now you've wound <laughs> me back to the story. So the lead in my movie is Jemima Kirk. Jemima Kirk, and, yes. Um, when I was directing it, my director of photography had a small child. I had a small child. Jemima was there with her two small children. And I remember one night, she was staying at the Chateau Marmont where we were shooting. And, um, <laughs> and, um, Adam Driver was staying at the Chateau and Jamie Dornan, who's the other star of my movie, was staying at the Chateau. And we had all the kids together in her suite. And we literally took, she said, let's take it in turns to have one drink each. And so she would watch my kids and I went down and had one drink with Jamie and then swapped and she had one drink with Adam and then swapped (laughs) and I got to meet Adam and then came back up and yeah it was I it love was, that it's yeah. like a speed dating yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really lovely that's yeah. actually a really good idea for an evening it, 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 was, it was delightful and the kids liked it too yeah. yeah um did you learn anything kind of interesting about just releasing a film I feel like not many people have oh, and and I know that it's yeah. it's a we, I mean, we don't know behind the scenes what goes okay, on okay so behind the scenes it's been it's far enough away that I, I I have no I had a producer on the movie who's my guy and who I'm very close to, a guy called Scott Lestati, who was like physically there for me every step of the way and, you know, there in the editing suite with me. We had a hard time getting the money because here's one behind the scenes thing is no matter who you think is a star, they're not really considered enough to finance a movie. So until we had Jamie Dornan, we didn't have the money. And uh, the financiers control how the film is released. So um, the best deal for them was this streaming deal that didn't put it in theatres, whereas we had offers for less money that would have had it in theatres. And obviously that would have been my infinite preference because I really love how it looks. Mm. But I don't have a say. I have no say in that. And so occasionally the movie pops up at like it's on tonight at the Jewish Film Festival at the Everyman. And even I want to go and see it because it's it is going to be rare to see it on a big yes. screen. Um, I would definitely want to see it again in a in a cinema oh, for sure thank you yeah, yeah. it's so really that's, beautiful you know and then you reckon with that and you come to terms with it you're like well look you know they gave me the money to make my film no one else did that's the deal they wanted to make it hurts a lot but um i'm incredibly grateful that someone financed my movie yeah so when you when you get an idea just um out of interest do you know this is a film, this is a novel, this is an article? No, funnily enough, uh, no. And the easiest thing to do or the the most sensible thing to do when, when those, because I get too many ideas. It's like... With the meditation? You know, in the meditation, but also, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm inherently a manic person. So when I get a lot of those ideas um, and I haven't had any episodes of mania in such, you know, like, probably decades or at least 15 years 
those moments of, is this a manic episode or is this just a great idea? You know, that's sometimes a little mm -hmm. alarming to me. So the first thing I'll do is I'll write it down as a short story. Um, and, and I have a piece that I wrote up as a short story. And for the very first time I looked at it and went, oh, this is a play, which is something I've never tried wow. before. So now I'm writing my first play. That's amazing. Because yeah. I think for a lot of creative people, that can be actually quite paralyzing when you're like, I have an idea, but this literally could be anything. It could be a podcast series. It could be a book. I have an idea for a podcast series. Do you want to know it? It's called Why Did You Hate Me? And you talk about the person from childhood or your teen years who most wounded you with your not being able to understand why they didn't like you. Whoa, and you, you talk about it do. and then you find them. And, and you, you track and them you, down. And you check whether they really did hate you. Or... Oh, my God. <laughs> Please do that. But you get celebrities to do it. That would yeah. be so great because I think as well a lot of it is in our heads. Yeah. And I and I, I have convinced myself certain people don't like me and they do like yeah. they I mean there are plenty of people that don't, but weirdly you aren't aware of the ones that actually do or don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I it's kind of reminds me of um I think there's a documentary somewhere on the internet of people who met up with their trolls, their internet trolls. Oh, oh, and it's like, great. why did you do that? And yeah. then by the end, they're having a cup of tea yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. It's just wild. Yeah. It's also a good name. Why did you hate me? Often my stuff comes from yes. a, just a title and I think, oh, I better create a plot around that. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, you have to do it now. Okay. Now do you've your... said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how has it been being back in London and um, kind of promoting a book and being back here? Being back in London's actually been great because I think I'm just using the city correctly. First of all, I've been away for so long, you know, for half my life. It's I very went... exciting that you're here, by the way, because oh, I feel like I, for some reason I thought you were still there and then I was like, when are we going to do the podcast? And just oh. knowing you're like here is so nice. Thank you, Emma. Um, I feel like if I weren't engaging with the city in terms of like immediately joining the V&A, joining the Royal Academy, going to the theatre, going to the ballet, walking across Westminster Bridge and all of that, I would just probably be sitting around saying I'm cold. Um, but if you utilise the city correctly, it's amazing. No, that's that's just reminded me to be more of a kind of, not a tourist in a city, but just a I, I do... Sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, this is like look at the city and what it has to offer. It's amazing. You've got to wander lonely as a cloud. You know, yeah. it's just a great city. That the thing that I've noticed is that um, when I left Los Angeles in LA and certainly in New York, and men would talk to me in cafes and in the gym and in Pilates. And I got on a plane to move to London, and when I got off the plane, either I lost every ounce of charm and attraction that I previously had, or this is a completely different culture because it, I really had to adjust to men not talking to me in public. Yeah. And I've been told, is it because everyone's online? But I think I'm kind of dating the city. I love that. Yeah. That's another um, okay. title for something. Yeah. <laughs> You have had such a long and successful career in writing. Mm. Is there anything that you can pass on that's just kind of, um, it doesn't have to be like a writing process thing, but just like how to maintain that sort of love for it and motivation? Well, specific to writers and probably to painters, I would say never lose sight of the fact that the first draft can just be terrible and that's fine. Don't ever expect the first draft to be any good it's, I don't think it's meant to be the first draft is just to get the scribble nonsense it, the first draft is the turning on the tap to let mm. it start running clear 
And uh, I, I've just, I've never had that. I, uh, and I love, you know, it's been such a long time since I was a journalist, but I have held on to the editing process and I do love removing words. Mm -hmm. That brings me as much joy as adding words. And even like Emma, there's, there's two entire novels that the world's never seen because I finished them and they didn't have that feeling of, when I say the suicide letter, I mean, like, how do you explain yourself to the world if you weren't going to be here anymore? Mm -hmm. You know? And that's what the work is meant to be for me. Yes. I mean, it makes me kind of um, f feel like I should spend longer editing because I think there is, there's like writers who really craft it and mm. they absolutely the writing is is the sentences are everything mm. and then I think there's some writers who kind of throw things at the wall a bit and they're like I, mm. I just want this out there and I don't even care how it really sounds mm, mm, mm. and it's um it's a really inspiring to kind of hear that because I think it is it takes a lot of work a really useful thing for anyone no matter what kind of art you're making go watch or re-watch A Hard Day Tonight which is the Beatles mm. black and white movie it's exactly an hour and a half long and all of it feels improvised and none of it is. It is wow. so finely tuned and calibrated and really spare. And it's just a fantastic screenplay that feels like an hour and a half of conversation. Mm. But it's not. It was all really, really, really carefully, specifically put together. Um, and that's sort of the dream. Like, that's what I assume I was saying to you before um, how much I love Dolly Alderton's columns mm. and they have that feeling of just like la 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 chat 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 but no way like you can feel that every word that's there is meant to be there and there's nothing extraneous yes and yeah. I feel like those are the writers that make other people want to write yeah which I kind of love yeah and sort of the proto um Dolly although I don't even know if Dolly likes her stuff is Eve Babbitts who is an amazing LA um 1960s and 70s writer very much in the same tone of the girl dating the city um but hers are all about los angeles mm. and they have that same sort of um feeling that they're they feel like jazz uh you know the best actors like i would say okay let's go back to your boy adam driver what's so moving about his work is that it feels like he's surprising himself with the words that come out of his mouth. Yeah. But clearly that's not the case because he learned them and he memorized them. But to put it out in, into the world as if it's surprising even you, that's the best you could hope for as a writer. Wow. Yes. I think you have to do it so much to improve, don't you, as well? Yeah. Like just as you as you move through the world, you're yeah. like learning new things. I'm so grateful that the, you know, my columns for the Sunday Times from when I was a teenager, there's no I assume God, pray there's no archive because it's pre-internet. You know, I was 16. I can't imagine they're any good. Like, I, I don't know what they were thinking giving me a column, but thank God they did because just that weekly thing, like eventually after a couple of years, I was okay. And mm -hmm. then after a couple of books, I was pretty good. Yes. I know I, I um bought one of Joan Didion's very, very, very yeah. first books, like when she was super young. Yeah. And yeah, it's not, it's not the Joan yeah. Didion that we know, but that's obviously, mm. like, you don't just come out of the womb, like, yeah. fully, fully formed. Oh, God, it was so crushing to me that they published Go Set a Watchman, which was the Harper oh, Lee yeah. um, draft. It's a draft, like, no writer wants a first draft published. Oh, it's God. just, it's, 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 um, 
lifting a magic spell. It's so cruel. It's so weird. I I, re- I remember reading through one of my book contracts. Um, obviously, I I had someone read it for me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it says something like, if you die before it's published, like we can basically do what we want to it and publish it. And I was like, oh my god. Wow. I remember reading the contract for when your voice in my head was going to be a movie with Warner Brothers, and there was something about um action figurines. I was like, this is <laughs> these are going to be amazing action figurines of two people talking in a psychiatrist's office. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, last question. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Um with Royals, I this is a hard question, but yeah. like what do what are you hoping people get from it? But I hope people get comfort from it and I hope they feel optimism because the world is strange and out of control and cruel and it's something for two people to find each other even if it's just a moment in time that can't hold and I hope that that readers find that comforting. Yes, I definitely did. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Emma. Thank and you. Um, everyone listening, please go and buy all of Emma's books because they're amazing. <laughs> but start with Royals. Start with Royals, okay. work your way back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much.